Welcome to the Diabetes Psychologist Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Heyman, and I invite you to join us as we talk candidly about the emotional challenges of living with type 1 diabetes. We'll give you actionable strategies to help you face these challenges head on, reduce your stress, and most importantly, live a full life without letting diabetes get in the way. Hey there, and welcome to the Diabetes Psychologist Podcast. I'm Dr. Mark Heyman. This is the second episode in a six-part series looking at ways to overcome the biggest mental health challenges of living with type 1 diabetes. On this episode, we're talking about what you can do if you're feeling alone with type 1 diabetes. One of the most challenging things is when you feel like no one understands what it's like to live with type 1, and you feel like you don't have the support that you need. No one knows that better than my guest today, Michelle Gabu. Michelle was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes 42 years ago when he was 17, and he lives in a small town outside Toronto, and he recently retired as a first grade teacher. For many years, Michelle kept the fact that he has diabetes a secret from almost everyone in his life. One of the coolest things about Michelle is his love for outdoor adventure. He loves canoeing, hiking, biking, whitewater rafting, cross-country skiing, and dog sledding. But he did all of these things for many years without telling anybody that he had diabetes, which got really complicated and also really lonely. It was only after a serious car accident that Michelle started opening up about diabetes, and he was shocked with how much support that he got. He was even more surprised with how much he was missing by not getting the support sooner. Now Michelle is taking his experience and giving back, finding ways to support others, especially other men with type 1 diabetes. Here's my conversation with Michelle. I've been diabetic now for 42 years in April. Yeah. So um, it, I, was, I was living in Quebec at the time, and once you finish high school, you do a, a little program uh, a year. It's called CIGEP. It's in between university and high school. So it's, like a, it's a good transition. And I was uh, <clears throat> doing a business degree, and it was in April during exam time. I thought I was under a little bit of stress, but I was losing weight. I was drinking water all the time. I had cravings for sugar. I was losing weight. I think I lost 20 pounds and I didn't have 20 pounds to lose. And then one day at school, I just ended blacking out and all I remember waking up in the hospital and then, then telling me that I have diabetes. What was your first reaction when you heard that news? Well, I didn't know what it was. I had never even heard of it. So it was totally new to me. And then they told me about having to take uh, insulin through injections. And I was like, oh my goodness. I had paranoia of needles at the time. And uh, I was refusing. I wouldn't, want, I wouldn't do it to myself. So I ended up spending almost two weeks in the hospital before I, someone was able to talk me through the whole thing and actually getting the courage to uh, start injecting myself. What kind of courage did that take? Well, I was just having to... I think someone, it was a nurse who came in and said, you know what, if you don't do this, you're going to die. It's, it's that simple. And I think it was just that someone being totally honest with me and, uh, you know, opening my eyes to, you know, I have to do this. Otherwise, it's not going to work. Only 17 years old at the time, too. Uh-huh. You know, I was, a, I was a jock. I was an athlete. You know, I played some pretty serious hockey and I was a big motocross racer at the time as well. And 
having to put that aside for a long time was very hard. Yeah. Why did you have to put that aside? Well, I, I just couldn't, uh, I just didn't really want to accept diabetes and I, I was having way too much difficulty. I couldn't, you know, I tried out playing for the hockey team again and I just wasn't to that level anymore. And the same thing for the, mo for the biking. I, I did end up having a pretty bad motorcycle accident and breaking my a hairline fracture in my neck and I broke my elbow, my hip and my knee. I spent three months in the hospital. That was about five months before I was diagnosed. So I'm not sure if that big incident in my life had any kind of implication with my diabetes because I have no family with diabetes at all. Yeah. So you mentioned that you're, you, ha you had a lot of trouble accepting diabetes, especially when you were first diagnosed. And that really impacted your willingness and ability to do things that were important to you in your life. Tell me about, more about, that, about that challenge. Well, it was just, just uh, the motivation just wasn't there anymore, I guess. Couldn't keep up to the, the people I was normally able to keep up with and play really well, and whether it was the hockey or the, the biking. And do you then, think that was more physical or do you think that was more mental? I think it was more mental because I was, well, I had lost a lot of weight. I'd lost 20 pounds and I guess a lot of that was muscle as well. And uh, I just, I wasn't a big guy. I was 160, 160 pounds, you know, 5'10". I wasn't a big kid. Playing hockey, you needed to have a little bit of size. It was pretty physical and I just didn't have it anymore. And feeling like diabetes was going to hold you back and like you couldn't keep up with your friends who are doing the same things anymore. And the whole thing of having to stop and check my blood sugar. And in those days, it was a urine. Uh, and it just it was like too cumbersome, I guess. And then taking the insulin and having, I think it was two injections a day. It was a mixture of slow acting and long acting. And it was beef and pork insulin and you know, it just wasn't working all that well. And then I did manage to finish school, which was good. And then I, once I start, wasn't able to do all the sports that I wanted, I met this uh, prof who was really into the outdoors. And I took a couple of his courses and we went camping, we did some canoeing, we did some kayaking, we did some climbing. And I really got into that and I really loved that. And then once I graduated, I finished my business degree. I ended up working in a bank as an assistant loan officer for about three months before I realized that this wasn't really for me. Because I remember the doctor, when he told me I had diabetes, had said, well, you're going to need to find a, a pretty easy office job with not too much stress, not too much physical work and stuff. And I guess that's what I was heading for. And then once I got into this outdoor stuff and really enjoyed it. And I thought I, maybe I can do something with this. And then I quit the bank job and I went back to university. I went and did a, an outdoor recreation degree at uh, Lakehead University up in Thunder Bay, which is uh, at the north end of uh, Ontario. And uh, started all this outdoor adventure activity and uh, did a, a four-year honors degree with a, a, a thesis that we had to do. And I during the summers, I would work for Outward Bound. I would. I started as an intern the first summer, and then assistant instructor, instructor, and then I became a program director. And this was I was all doing this on my own. What I was the only diabetic person around. Most people, I never told people I was diabetic. 
most people didn't know. The only person that would know I was diabetic would be the other instructor that I worked with for safety reasons. And, uh, yeah, I was always alone, alone, and no one to talk to about it. Or I chose not to talk to people about it. I want to go back for a minute and ask you about the message you got from your doctor when you were diagnosed. He told you that you should probably have a, an easy office job. Yes. What impact did that message have on you? When well, you- being an athlete, being a jock, I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, what do you mean? I can't do all this stuff anymore. And I was getting this, those messages from everybody, from the, the nurses. And, you know, the, well, there wasn't a diabetic clinic at the time in those days, but it was all like I had to let go of everything that I liked. Well, I, I also also played some pretty serious soccer as well through high school and and I had to let it go well that's what I was told well what a contrast that is between kind of being being this athlete with playing these tough contact sports and now you're being treated like a a little feather and you have to have a nice office with with no no danger involved that must have been a really big mind shift for you oh it was it was totally and it was you know, I was pretty down, I guess, for the for about three, four years until I got into the outdoor uh, adventure education, which brought me out of my slump. Mm-hmm. And then once I got to Lakehead, I met this young doctor who put me on to the multiple daily injections with the pens. And boy, that, that was so much easier for me. And I was able to control. I, I went 20 years without having any kind of major incident where someone else had to be involved with, with to help me with my diabetes. But that's interesting because you say that you're, do, you're doing really well with your diabetes management. You were, your blood sugars were in good shape. You had no complications, but you're still keeping it secret. So yes. on, on, the, on, the, on the inside, and to your doctors, you're doing just fine. But in your, in your life and in your social circles, like it, must have, it was this big burden because you were just – you weren't sharing with anybody. Oh, it was a big secret. I was on my, on my shoulders for a long, long time. And uh, I guess I was brought up. My dad, you know, brought me up saying, you know, don't show any weakness, you know, solve your own problems. That's how you, you move along in life. And, and that was my role model. Yeah. Like my, my dad and I hardly ever talked. I was probably uh, in my 40s before I really was able to talk to my dad. Yeah, but you saw diabetes throughout your life as a weakness and a weakness that you wanted to keep to yourself. Exactly. It was, it was a, I didn't want anybody, because I probably wouldn't have got some of the jobs that I had with my diabetes probably at the time. Why not? I had, well, you know, uh, having to uh, lead big canoe trips in the, art, in the north. You know, mm-hmm. I also spent some time in Siberia. I spent wow. some time down in British Guyana in the jungles. You know, it was like, if people knew I had this problem, they probably wouldn't have hired me. Because in those days, there were no other diabetics doing this kind of stuff. At least I didn't know any. Uh huh. And I, I never met anybody else. But who knows? They may have been keeping it a secret too. I don't know. So in your mind at that point, it, it was really part of you keeping a secret was helpful because it got you, it allowed you to do things that were that maybe you wouldn't have been allowed to do if you didn't keep it a secret. I think that was my big thing, yes. If nobody knew, then I could do pretty much anything I wanted. 
And I did. I did. Yeah. But tell me about the burden of keeping that secret. It was a burden, but it, I guess after a while I got used to it. But probably deep down, it was still there. And I don't know, I think it was probably when, uh, when I first went, met my wife, and she had a really close friend who was also a diabetic, a man as well, and a teacher as well. Mm-hmm. And I became a teacher. And uh, that was the first time I actually met someone else who had diabetes. And that was like hmm, maybe 35 years ago. So that was my introduction to, hey, there are other people. And he was also into the outdoors, doing canoe trips with his family as well. So, you know, he was my, and he was already 10 years older than me. So he was my sort of mentor and what I've learned from him. But that was it. He was the only one until five years ago. You know, I talked to a lot of people who who keep diabetes a secret or do lots of things to to hide it. And what they find is that doing that, it actually makes it a lot more work. You're always having to think about how do I make sure this person doesn't find out or how do I go to the bathroom to give myself my shot or how do I, how, how do I hide it? And, and hiding it ends up just putting, making the burden even greater. And I'm curious what your experience with that was. Well, I remember at school being a teacher having to take my insulin. I would always go to the washroom. Uh, no one knew. Like I probably my first 15 years of teaching, none of the teachers knew. I think the principal would be the only one. And I always said to the principal, I don't want anybody else knowing. And it was like, yeah, sometimes I had to take insulin and the kids were around. I'd have to call someone. Okay. Can you come and be in my class for a couple of minutes? I got to go to the washroom, mm-hmm. but I had to go and take my insulin or do a blood test or, But then after that, I started doing it with in the classroom with the kids and the kids had questions and it was like, oh my God, why didn't I do this a long, long time ago? It was, it felt like the, the, the weight of my, off my back. So tell me about what changed. You said five years ago, something changed where you, I was, became more open about it. Yeah. I was having really bad highs and lows all the time. But my AC1s always came back, you know, just a little bit uh, under seven. And I had an older endocrinologist who would say, look at my numbers and say, hey, look, yeah, you're 6.8, 6.9. You know, that's, that's good. No problems. You're doing great. And then once in a while, my wife would come with me and she would say to the doctor, no, it's not right. You know, half the, I can't sleep at night because he's going low all the time. And he would say, oh, cut the guy some slack. He's doing great. His A1Cs are awesome and stuff. And then about two years later, I had a really bad car accident. Luckily, I was the only one involved in the car accident and uh, totaled the car, uh, ended up in the hospital. Um, they had to do some blood work because at first they thought I was drunk. And then they figured it out that I was diabetic after mm-hmm. they saw my bracelet because it was in the winter and I had a coat on and, and um, I lost my driver's license for nine months when I was still working and not being able to drive yourself to work. Like my self self esteem just went down the drain. I felt like I, I took a, a one week stress leave from, from work after the accident just to get used to the whole thing about not being able to drive to work and my luckily my wife was at home so she was able to drive me back and forth to school and you know I felt like a 14 15 year old without a driver's license needing 
rides all over. It was driving Mr. Daisy around. <laughs> and oh, it was so hard. And then teachers at school started asking, what's going on? How come you're, I, I ended up having to tell them. And then people started offering me rides so that my wife wouldn't have to drive me all the time. And, and I, I, I started to realize that, you know, you don't need to do this on your own. People are willing to help and you have to accept the help. And asking for help for me now is a sign of strength. But before it would be weakness. Like there's, I shouldn't be asking for help. I should be able to do this on my own. Yeah. And you got pushed to ask for help through a pretty dramatic event. Oh, it, it was, it was amazing. It was, well, that wasn't amazing, but it was like life altering for me at that time. So what's changed since then? And how has your life with diabetes okay, well, improved? That's when uh, I was at the clinic one day and I was sitting and I was in the waiting room. And then I saw the little pamphlet for connected in motion. Oh, look, people are canoeing, they're hiking, they're kayaking. I said, hey, that's all the stuff I like to do. <laughs> what is this? I looked into it and I went to a slipstream five years ago was my first fall slipstream and uh, met all these people who were the same as me. And uh, it was sort of meeting my, my support group. And that was, that was the big change for me is being able to talk to other people and see that I'm not the only one doing this because I thought I was for 20, 30 years, was the only one living with diabetes and doing all this stuff. So it was a big, it was a big relief. Like, oh my goodness, I, I have people to talk to besides my wife or my immediate family. This whole thing of keeping it a secret, I think it really affected me how I interacted with my sons. Like I have a 23-year-old and a 19-year-old, and I don't think I really was able to communicate with them very well as they were growing up as kids because of this, because I always had to take care of myself first. And sometimes I felt a little guilty that I had to leave the boys aside, so I had to take care of myself. So there's a little bit of that guilt. Yeah, and it's an interesting progression that you had from being completely alone to then asking for some help from your friends and family and your coworkers, mm -hmm. kind of because, not by choice, but because you were forced into it. Yeah. And then you went to Connected Emotion and, to, to, and, and developed the diabetes community where now you, were, um, you, you got support from people with diabetes and you felt not alone. You felt like well, you weren't alone anymore. That, that's been the biggest difference for me. And also being on the CGM and uh -huh. going on a pump. The, the CGM was the big thing for me because I cannot feel my lows anymore. I'm totally hypo and awareness. And um, even today, my wife and I were on a hike. We did about a 10, 10 kilometer hike and she can see that I'm going low before I can feel it because of just my mood changes. That frustrates me that I can't, I don't have that feeling anymore. And, We've been working on it for a while, you know, trying to keep my blood sugars high so that I can get that low sensation again. But it's been five years and I, it hasn't changed at all. And the work of diabetes throughout this process, my guess is it stayed the same. But your perception of it, given the support that you have, has made it probably a whole lot easier because you know that you're not alone. You know that there are people who can support you, even though the work is hard sometimes. Oh, for sure. Like the amount of help, like picking up the phone, talking to someone else or on the online community. And one of the big things for me was when I went to all these uh, connected in motion sessions and slipstreams and canoe trips, it, uh, it was like, there may have been like three or four guys. Like I need more men to talk to, not just 
because I, in my profession, I worked in elementary school and it was me and all women teachers. And then I go to this connected emotion. It's like mostly women again. It's like, oh, I, I, I'm, I was craving for this male interaction, which has just started to happen within the next last few years because I kept complaining to Jen. I said, we need more men, more yeah. older men. And after a while, she said, well, Michelle, you need to do something about it. So <laughs> that's why I you know, got in touch and wanted to start this uh, men's group with because it's important to be able to talk because sometimes our issues are very different. So why don't you t- tell us about what's going on with the men's group and what that is and how people can join if they're interested. Well, we started this uh, type 1 diabetes mental health group, men's mental health group, and uh, we're, it's closely associated with Connected in Motion. We're able to use their Zoom account to have our meetings. Mm-hmm. And um, we promoted it the last two uh, virtual slipstreams and we've got uh, 24 men signed up already. And uh, the last, our first annual, first meeting a couple of weeks ago, we had uh, 14 men show up and we had great discussions and, you know, you were part of it. That was good. And um, I think there are a few more men uh, trying to get in and we, I think we need to uh, promote it a bit more through, uh, maybe with Connect in Motion, but also in our communities just to get more men involved and know that this is out there. Yeah, I think that's awesome. I think that oftentimes, you're right, these, these communities are, are wonderful, but men, men sometimes feel a little bit disconnected from them. And so having things that are specifically for men um, mm-hmm. and so that men can feel like they're not alone, especially, um, is extremely, extremely important. Mm-hmm. A couple last questions for you. Okay. Um, you know, you, you, you mentioned going through a, a lot of years keeping diabetes a secret and, 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 and feeling alone in that. And now, and now that you're on the other side of that and really are, are very active and being very open about diabetes, looking back, I, I'm sure you kick yourself and say, why didn't I start this sooner? Mm-hmm. What would you give, if somebody's in your, in your same position, what advice would you give them around um, moving, looking forward as opposed to worrying about what, what you did or didn't do in the past? For me, I think the biggest thing is being willing and able to ask for help. Um, when I started going to this clinic uh, in Orangeville, there mm-hmm. is a, a social worker who's associated with it. And uh, I remember it was about six, seven years ago, I was starting to have some, some difficulties and just that whole why am I, why do I have to deal with this on my own all the time? And mm-hmm. I asked, is there someone here who could, I can talk to besides the doctor and the, the nurse and the nutritionist? And she's, oh, they said, oh yeah, we do. There is a social worker associated with it. And most important, she has diabetes as well. Well, that was the big thing for me is being able to sit down with someone who gets it, who understands and can sympathize because She's gone through some of the similar things. So that was, for me, that was, besides the medical thing, the CGM and being able to control my blood sugars better, being my whole emotions and mental health well-being was mm-hmm. being able to talk with someone. That's awesome. Yeah. So, I would, so you would encourage people just to talk with someone, whether it's a professional or whether it's mm-hmm. another person with diabetes or a friend or family member um, yeah. for, for you and your mental health. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, awesome, Michelle. Well, thank you so much for your time. This was awesome talking to you. And it sounds, I mean, I think that 
our, the listeners here can really learn from the experience, your experience of kind of going through the process of being all alone and really the challenges that, that, that brought to you to getting to a place where now you're open and have the support and the benefits of that. And that's an awesome lesson that I think that we can all learn something from. Yes, thank you. Thank you. One thing that I hear from my patients all the time is how hard diabetes is when you feel alone. And I think that Michelle's interview has a lot to unpack with it about how he has dealt with feeling alone with diabetes and the challenges that that's brought about for him. On the surface, Michelle looked like he's doing pretty well. He had a job he loved. He was engaged in activities like canoeing and kayaking that sound awesome. And also his doctors were telling him that everything was going well. His A1C was in good shape and he said they, they said that everything is going fine for you diabetes wise. But just below the surface, things weren't going okay. Michelle felt alone. He had no idea how to get out of it. And this really presented itself in three different ways. First of all, Michelle felt that he had to keep diabetes a secret from everybody in his life, especially his coworkers. He felt that he couldn't tell anybody because they thought that he would be weak or they would think differently of him. And so he went to great lengths to hide his diabetes. Second, he really didn't have any support from other people, especially people with diabetes. He didn't realize that his experiences with diabetes were actually really normal and that he didn't have the ability to really just have that camaraderie and know that even though diabetes is challenging, that other people are going through the same things. And it also made him feel alone in his family, especially with his sons. He felt the diabetes put a big chasm between him and his sons and really impacted his ability to engage with them because he felt that he had to pay attention to diabetes. And that really made it challenging for him to, in his mind, to be the father that he wanted to be. So let's take a little deep, little bit of a deeper look at each one of these things and how Michelle dealt with them and how you might be able to deal with feeling alone with diabetes in the future. Michelle talked about how in the past he kept diabetes a secret from people in his life, and that really made him feel a lot more alone. But I also want to dig a little bit deeper in because keeping diabetes a secret from other people can actually increase the burden of diabetes. It just makes it harder. I can't tell you how many people that I have met who have gone to great lengths to keep diabetes a secret and with really good intentions. They really don't want to draw attention to themselves. They don't want people to, they, they don't want people to see them as being different or weak or like they can't perform as well at work. And so they just don't tell anybody they have diabetes. And not, not only do they not tell anybody, but they also work really hard to make sure that nobody knows. So when they have to give themselves insulin, they, they go to the bathroom or to check their blood sugar, they have to leave the, leave their office. Or they do all kinds of things to make sure that nobody knows they have diabetes. The challenge there is it actually defeats the purpose. If your goal is to make diabetes less a part of your life and less burdensome for you, actually not keeping diabetes a secret and being open about it can actually be really helpful. Because if you're doing that, you're not actually, you're not always thinking about how do I make sure that no one knows? Keeping a secret is actually really challenging. And you have to think about it a lot to make sure that you don't slip. You don't have to make sure that you have a plan. You have to make sure of all kinds of things when you're keeping diabetes a secret. It also makes you feel really alone when no one, when no one around you knows what you're going through, whether it's, whether it's good or bad, whether you're struggling or not feeling well. And you feel like you can't tell other people what's going on. That makes diabetes a whole lot more challenging. 
And so what Michelle did was he started opening up and he really found some amazing things when he opened up. First of all, he realized that it was a big burden off of him in terms of his management. He didn't have to think so hard about it anymore. But I think what surprised him the most was that people were actually really willing to help. They didn't think anything differently of him. They were happy to hear about what was going on in his life. And they were actually, they were willing to help him when things got challenging, especially after he had his car accident. They were willing to give him rides. He was forced to let people know it wasn't really by choice, but it was a pleasant surprise to find out that what he really worried about happening um, wasn't a big worry at all. And that by not hiding things, things become a whole, things became a whole lot easier for him with diabetes because it freed up a whole lot of headspace for him. One of the questions that I always ask people when they start seeing me in my practice is, how many other people with diabetes do you know? And it always shocks me when I get the answer, I don't know anybody. Or they tell me that I am the first person that they have met ever or in a long time who has diabetes. And so part of the treatment plan and trying to get them um, in a better headspace with diabetes is to connect them with other people is to connect them with other people with diabetes. I just think that's so important. And I think that Michelle talks about that really well in this interview. You know, we find out that he, for the long, for a very long time, for 30 years of his life with diabetes, or 30 plus years, he had never met any other, anybody else or really had any kind of meaningful interaction with other people with diabetes. And that was a challenge for him. It was a challenge for a couple of reasons. One is that he didn't have the support. He didn't have that the camaraderie that really comes along in the diabetes community. And to be able to get lifted up and to be able to have people tell him that he can do things and really, and, and to have people who get him and to have people in his life who get him. And that is such a comforting thing to be able to talk about things like basal rates and boluses and blood sugars without having to explain yourself. There's a big sense of relief that comes along with that. And so having that community is so important. Also, when you're alone with diabetes, it's really hard to know what is a normal experience of people with diabetes and what's not. You know, what's it, what's it like to have a low blood sugar and what, and are your experience with low blood sugars the same as everybody else's? What's it like to feel diabetes burnout or to feel nervous about going to the doctor? Or what's it like to have your doctor tell you that your A1C is above or what's it like to have a fear of hypoglycemia or some of those other challenges that only people with diabetes can understand and to be feel like your experience is normal. It may not be a great experience, but to know that you're not alone in that experience is really powerful for, for people with diabetes. And I think that Michelle experienced that in connecting, connecting with other people, in knowing that they had this common bond and that they could share something and feel normal about their challenges. It's not fun to feel challenged, but it's also really not fun to feel challenged and also feel alone in that process. And so having a community of people with diabetes and support there can really go a long way in helping you to feel better about yourself and to know that what you're experiencing may not be fun, but it's actually not that uncommon. Another reason why having a community of people with diabetes to support you is because they can show you what's really possible in your life. A lot of people with type 1 diabetes 
live with the motto of I can't because I have diabetes. I can't surf. I can't scuba dive. I can't ski. I can't rock climb. I can't do the things in my life that I really want to do. And talk about depressing. If you feel that diabetes is keeping you from doing the things in your life that are really important to you, that's going to get you down. No doubt about it. But having a support system of people with diabetes who, especially people like Michelle does, who are doing really adventurous and cool things, can really empower you to show you what's possible. They can push you to your limits and show you that you can you can scuba dive with diabetes. You can surf. You can rock climb. You can do all the things that you want to do. And they can also give you tips and support you in doing those things. The best way to learn is to learn from people who've done it before and who've gone before you. And there's a great community community of people with diabetes who have. And there's a great community of people with diabetes who have done great things. And so having those people by your side who can support you and encourage you can really make you feel not only empowered, but also not alone with diabetes. Can make you feel not only not alone with diabetes, but also empowered with diabetes to live the life that you want to live. One thing I'm not sure we think about enough is how feeling alone in diabetes can impact the other relationships in our life. So with Michelle, that was a relationship with his boys. He felt that diabetes was keeping him from having the best relationship with them because he had to keep it from him, from them. And they weren't able to understand what he was going through simply because he didn't share it with them. Sure, he, they may not be able to understand completely, completely, but having to think about keeping diabetes from them and not talking to them about it and not having them know the full extent of how challenging it was for him really kept him from having, in his mind, the best relationship he could with them. One of the things that struck me the most about my conversation with Michelle was when he said that he saw asking for help as a sign of strength now after so many years of not not asking for help. And opening up and getting support is a critical part of self-care for people with diabetes. We talk so much about eating well and exercising and taking insulin, checking blood sugar as parts of self-care. We also talk about taking care of your mental health as a critical part of your self-care. I think that we also need to talk about how getting support and opening up to people about diabetes can also be such a helpful and important part of your self-care. And I think Michelle is really a great model for that. Not only is he now able to ask for help for himself, but he's also really gone out and really become a catalyst in the community for support, especially for men. We could probably have a whole nother conversation about how men with diabetes have a hard time asking for support. But I think it suffice to say that a lot of us do have challenges in that way. We don't want to be seen as weak. And we feel that asking for support and talking to other people about our diabetes can make us seem that way and make us really take a hit to our self-esteem. But as Michelle talks about, having that support community, especially for men, is critical. And Michelle has gone from being alone with diabetes to being connected and now really being the person who is connecting other men in the community to be able to talk about these challenges and to be able to give each other, give each other support um, to overcome them. 
I want to give you a couple of practical tips that you can use if you are feeling alone with diabetes and you want some help in moving past that. The first is opening up with about diabetes and doing your best not to keep it a secret. I know this sounds really scary to some people, and it can be. And there is some risk to doing so. You know, you don't know how people are going to respond to you, and you don't know what the reaction will be. But doing it slowly and taking some taking some risk and putting your toe in the water and finding out what people's reaction is going to be will give you a lot of information that you need. And I bet you that you'll find that, like Michelle, it's actually not as scary as you think it's going to be. And the rewards are actually... Uh, or the benefits actually far outweigh the consequences and any kind of risks that you may have. The second thing is to ask the people in your life for help if you need it. And you may want to choose carefully who you ask for help at first. It may be close friends and family, maybe coworkers. And think about what exactly you want from them. And I think the more specific you can be, the better about when asking for help. Oftentimes, if you say, I need help, and expect people to respond to you, they don't know exactly what to do. And so if you can be very specific about what type of help you need and how they can help you feel not so alone with diabetes, more pe- most people are going to be more than happy to step forward and to help you. And finally, I would really encourage you to find ways to connect with other people in the diabetes community to get the support that you need from people with diabetes. Because as we talked about before, there's nothing better then there's no better support than from people who understand what's going on and who get you. And there are lots of ways to connect. The first place I would stop would be on social media. Instagram and Facebook have a large diabetes community on them. And you can find them by searching for diabetes or hashtag T1D. And lots of information and groups will come up that you can connect with and communicate with. And you might want to start off by just reading and seeing what's out there and absorbing what's happening in the community. And as you feel more comfortable and have the need, you can certainly get involved and start chatting and become more involved in the community and interact um, there. There are also lots of great organizations. Michelle mentioned Connected in Motion, which is a big favorite of mine. They're an organization that does outdoor adventure programs for people with diabetes. They have diabetes camps for adults. They have Uh, week-long hiking trips, and they're really great for people of all ages with diabetes to really find out what you can do and to push your limits there. And then, of course, there are people, there are meetups in your local community. And I think the thing about these meetups is people oftentimes think that they they don't want to go to a meetup where they're going to just talk about diabetes. And the cool thing about these things is, is oftentimes people go and they talk about whatever's going on in their life, you know, the new book they're reading or the movie that they just recently saw. And diabetes doesn't really come into play. But the cool, but what happens is, is when someone's CGM goes off or someone pulls out their, their pump to take an insulin, no one bats an eye. And there's a sense of normalcy around being with other people with diabetes who get you. And that in and of itself is great support. Finally, I want to let you know that, the, that you are never alone with diabetes that there's a community who's here behind you and who's here to support you. And all you have to do is ask. So please, if you need help, please feel free to reach out to me or anybody else in the diabetes community and ask for the help that you need because we're here for you and we want to support you. I always love hearing from my listeners and I would love to hear about your experience if you've ever felt alone with diabetes 
and any pro tips you have on how to feel less alone. Also, if you have any topics you'd like me to address in future episodes, please let me know. To get in touch, you can go to my website, thediabetespsychologist.com, or send me an email at mark at thediabetespsychologist.com. That does it for today's episode of the Diabetes Psychologist podcast. If you like what you heard, I would really appreciate it if you would post a review on iTunes. Also, tune in next time for episode three of this six-part series, where we'll talk about the emotional impact of being diagnosed with diabetes as an adult. Thanks so much for listening. For more resources, you can visit www.thediabetespsychologist.com. And be sure to sign up for the email list for access to exclusive content. I'm Dr. Mark Heyman, and tune in next time for the latest episode of the Diabetes Psychologist Podcast. Podcast.